Hallelujah. Second Peter chapter two, beginning in verse number one, Peter is beginning to warn the church that he's writing to of some issues that will come up. One of the things that you need to be aware of is that issues will come up. There will be times that the enemy will bring uh, cute and cuddly teddy bears to lie and deceive and to take you away from your first love. I want you to know God is very passionate about you and your first love. God, the Bible says, is a jealous God. God does not put up with us having indifference toward him. God does not put up with us having a, a, an adulterous relationship or an idolatrous relationship in our spiritual life. God's desire is that we all come back to our first love, that we all come back to that place where we love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Amen. God's desire is to do that, and you have to know and understand the enemy. You have to know and understand his tactics, but you may not know which way he's coming from, but you know what he wants to do, and that is to take you away from your first love. One of the things that the church is founded on is the truth of who God is, who Jesus is, the blood of our atonement, the cross of Calvary, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have in the church essential truths that will never change but the enemy will always come into the church and seek to corrupt the doctrine that the church is built on as we see in verse number one peter gets into this he says but there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be, somebody needs to underline that because you think this is past, it's not for you, but he says uh, that even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction notice what happens the the lord is telling us through the apostle peter that there will be people that come in to the church there will be people that call themselves teachers expositors preachers counselors there will be people that begin to teach the word of god but manipulate it to a point where you deny the Lord that bought you. One of the ways that we know that we deny uh, the Lord purchasing us is by not receiving that purchase possession. I want you to know that God didn't buy you with money. He didn't buy you with silver and gold. He didn't buy you with a credit card. He didn't put a down payment down there. He didn't get, use his discover card and purchase your soul. Your soul cost a lot more than a discover card could ever do. You see, we were so fallen and so much in bondage and so outside the will of God that it was only the blood of God that could have redeemed mankind. But you have a, a problem here, a dilemma here. As you think through the things of God, don't allow yourself to stop thinking. Think through the things of God. God is spirit. God is immaterial. He made material. He made space. He made time. He made matter. God is spirit, and for us to know that God would bleed and die for us, we have to know that the God of eternity who transposes time, who existed before there was an atom, he is not made of atoms, he's not made of molecules, he is immaterial, he is spirit. 
He's not made of anything made. And that God knew that there was one way to save you. And that is, he would have to gain some blood. He would, have to, he would have to come down to the earth and condescend from the throne of glory, condescend himself, humiliate himself to step down from that throne, to lay aside that crown, to lay aside his glory for a moment, not his deity, but the beauty of his glory, so that he could come down and be born of a virgin Mary in a, in a manger and bear our sins at Calvary and bleed and bleed that's how we were purchased peter tells us in the in the previous uh, book of his if you'll turn back to first peter chapter 2 for, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, he tells you explicitly right here in verse number 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18. The word of God reads, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Bible tells you here that it was not with silver or gold or precious stones, but it was the blood of Jesus Christ that redeemed the church of the living God. There is one foundation to the church, and that is Jesus. Jesus. He is the foundation to the church. No man can build on any other foundation save Jesus Christ. Anything that the church does has to be exalting of Jesus Christ. We are his bride. He's not, he, he's not the co-heir. He's not the co-star of the church. We're his bride. He's the one that we love. He's the one that we adore. And he purchased us when he went to the cross and bled and died for our sins. I want you to know there's, there's always has been and there always will be an attack on the blood of Jesus. You need to know why that blood saves you. You need to know how that blood saves you. You need to know that that blood purchased you. You're not a Christian through any other way but through the blood of the Lamb. It is the blood and only the blood that makes you a child of God. Outside of the blood of Jesus, we are nothing. We are children of the devil. We are lost and indifferent and in and, and in and in on our way to hell. But through the blood, through the blood God saves, through the blood God redeems, through the blood God accepts us, through the blood God reconciles us to himself, through the blood God makes you his own child. He adopts you into his own family, but it's not because of you, it's not because of your worth, it's not because of any of that, it's because the blood has been applied to your soul. And I need to ask you, has the blood been applied to your soul? This is the the question that you must ask yourself. This is the question that the devil will press upon. He may come through the left or he may come through the right but he will try to move you off the blood of the lamb he will try to move you off any which way he can I've even heard and contended against one church one um, one minister he began to say that the blood of God flowed through his own veins 
I said, no, sir, the blood of God was shed at Calvary. It's not in you. It was shed on Calvary's hill on Mount Moriah 2,000 years ago. But you see, in our generation, anything goes. Nobody's held accountable for anything they say. But you need to know as a child of God, what any minister says needs to be found in the Word of God. If somebody teaches or preaches something that's not in this book, you need to disregard it. You need to make sure that what people teach and preach line up with Scripture, line up with the Word of God. You need to know this essential truth because your soul depends on the blood. If you die without the blood applied to your soul, you'll die in your sins. If you die without the blood of the Lamb applied to your soul, no matter how good you are, no matter how many good deeds you've done, no matter how many church services you went to, no matter how much money you put in somebody's offering plate, no matter how many times you recited a creed, no matter how many times you clicked your heels or tap danced for the Lord, if the blood is not applied to our soul, we're lost. We're lost. So we need to know... We need to know why the blood, how the blood is applied to our souls. Amen. The Lord from the very beginning was all about the blood. If you remember whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it, it, it doesn't say, but you need to read it in context. He said that, that because they sinned, God took the skin of an animal and clothed them with it. You need to wonder how did God skin an animal? He sacrificed an animal for them. From the very beginning, from the first sin, there had to be a blood atonement that you, you don't understand and I don't understand and nobody's ever understood just how vile sin is. We don't understand the depravity of it. We don't understand how much it infringes against heaven. We don't understand how much sin is an affront to God. Until you see just by Adam and Eve sinning in the garden, an innocent animal had to die. An innocent animal had to die. Let me show you something in Leviticus chapter 17. Yes, we're going to Leviticus chapter 17. One of the things about Leviticus, it's all about how the Levites were supposed to minister to God's people. The Levites were the priests and the, the, the priesthood was a bloody priesthood. If you see in Leviticus chapter 17, an important truth, verse number 11. Leviticus chapter 17, verse number 11. It says, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. You see, why did it have to be the blood? Why did God have to bleed? Why did God have to come down to this earth and, and die on that cross for our sins? Because God set this principle in motion. He said that no soul can be atoned for unless there's a blood offering. Unless there's blood put on the altar for that soul, that soul will die and perish in its sin. No matter how sincere we are, if we don't have a blood offering put on an altar for our soul, we'll perish. God is holy. God is holy thrice. 
That means he's holy, holy, holy. That means he's unapproachable to the natural man. Only the spiritual man can approach a holy God. Only the man that has been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Now we see an important truth here. God values the blood. God forbid Israel from eating anything with blood in it. Because in that flesh, that blood was the life of that animal. It defiled that person that did it because God valued that blood that much. There were sacrifices every day. Multiple times a day in the Old Testament, they, they killed animal after animal after animal after animal, year after year after year after year. And it was only a covering for their sin. It couldn't reconcile them completely to God. It was a covering. In fact, God even had a day. The tenth day of the seventh month was the day of atonement. According to the 23rd chapter. God had a specific day that the sin of Israel would be covered for another year. And then they'd have to come back. And then they'd have to come back. And then they'd have to come back. And then they'd have to come back again and again and again. What you see right here is that this is the basis for the atonement. It says right here that the blood makes atonement for the soul. God set it up that way. Uh, uh, the atonement is, is, is how a, an, an injury, a suffered injury, is made right. And the question that you should be asking is, well, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Well, here's the reality. There's none righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Romans that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's two problems. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Two problems. Two problems. You need, you need to have an answer for both of those problems. Now, Going forward in this, I want you to see the, the, the value of the blood of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter number 9, let's go to, to Hebrews chapter number 9 and talk about the value of the blood. Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse number 11. See, in the book of Hebrews, if you go to chapter 7, you'll begin to see that, that there's a transfer of power from the Old Testament priesthood to a New Testament priest. And the New Testament priest ain't letting it go. He was priest now, he was priest then, and he's going to be priest forever. He's, he's, given, he's been given the, the priesthood of Melchizedek. And, 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 and when the Old Testament was passed away, the New Testament came in. The New Testament has to have a priest over it. Every covenant has to have a priest managing it. And we're in the New Testament. We're in the New Covenant. And this New Covenant has a priest. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. In verse number 11 it says, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Listen, listen to that. Jesus is a priest, but he's not a priest in a building. Now, you and I, we don't understand the, 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 the shock and awe of that statement. But to a Jewish person, 
who didn't know that there could be any other kind of way that somebody could be a priest but except in a, in, in, in a building. Because where are you going to kill the animal? Where are you going to burn the animal? Where are you going to bring the blood to? There has to be a building. I mean, the, the shock and awe of that statement, we miss as Gentiles. But I want you to see that Jesus is in fact ministering this very hour. And it's not in a place made with brick and mortar. He's, he is a priest today in a temple that was not made by hands. Jesus is not just sitting in heaven waiting on the trumpet call. He's not filing his fingernails. He's not twiddling on a stick. He's not playing a harp, bouncing on clouds. He is ministering in the temple of glory. He is a priest standing in somebody's place this very hour. The Bible says in another place that he intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. He's ministering for us in this temple that is not made with hands. Can you imagine how beautiful it is? It, it, how beautiful is the temple when it's not been, not been made by human hands? I don't believe that they had to caulk any cracks. I don't believe they have to use bleach and shine the floors and, and, and get a duster out. This glorious temple, this glorious temple is ministered to by a glorious priest named Jesus. It says in verse number 12, neither. So it says that he, he came to a, a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now that right there is powerful. He's saying that, that God did not purchase you with the blood of bulls or goats he didn't use an animal to bring this blood sacrifice understand there was a cleansing there was a purifying that our souls needed god could have lined up one million red heifers he could have lined up 10 million innocent doves he could have lined up unicorns turkeys ducks and any other thing that it could have thought of but God said none of that would do you were too fallen you were too sinful you were too depraved you were too lost you were too much in sin you were too much in bondage there was only one thing that would redeem you and that is the precious blood of Jesus Christ and God knew there was no other way he said if there be any other way Lord let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but thy will be done it was God's will to redeem you by the blood of the Lamb. That was the plan from the ages. Christ, from the foundation of the earth, was slain for our sin. It didn't happen by happenstance. It was God's plan of the ages. We will sing about it in glory. We won't sing about our own selves or our own churches or our own families. We'll be singing about the Lamb. How beautiful the Lamb. How holy the Lamb. How mighty the Lamb. And how the Lamb bought us. And it says that he went in. He went into this temple that was not made with hands with his own blood. Think about that. 
God, who did not have blood, came to this earth and got blood, and he allowed sinful Roman soldiers and Jewish high priests to crucify him and put him on that cross so that he could take that same blood and carry it up to glory and walk through the streets of gold, walk through the angels and the seraphim and the cherubim and make his way into the temple that he himself made and walk in that place with his own blood that he shed down on earth and he carried that blood in there and he made a way where there was no way. He made an opening where there was a door shut. He opened the way to glory to purchase eternal redemption for a fallen mankind. He opened that door. He opened that way. It was not a special lock and key. It wasn't a special passcode. It was his own blood he came and brought to his own temple that he himself made. And he did it to redeem you. And an eternal redemption he purchased. An eternal redemption. That means that if God redeems you, guess what? You'll live for eternity. If you're born again, it's a, it's a born again experience that'll last 10,000 lifetimes. It will never end. It will never end. Now watch this. Watch this. It says that he, he obtained eternal redemption for us. And some of y'all that have issues, some of y'all that are struggling, some of y'all I know that the devil beats you up about sins of your past beat you up about this, that, and the other. You need to let the Word of God speak for you. You need to stand on the Word of God. You need to let the Word of God speak in your place. You need to know and understand it is God's Word that is the truth, not how you feel. Not how you feel. Not what you think. But His Word is true. And he said he obtained it for you. For you. I didn't deserve it, neither did you. But he did it. He did it for us. He did it for us. We weren't worthy. We weren't worthy, but he loved us. And he did it. And he offers it. He offers it. Now here, I want you to see this. It says in verse 12 that he obtained eternal redemption for us. Listen to verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, I want to point out a couple of things in this passage. Number one, that it is the blood of bulls and goats that was not needed. It wasn't the ashes of a heifer that was needed. But you need to understand, what were the ashes of a heifer used for? They were used. The, 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 the Jewish priest, the, Le, the Levitical priest, you'll find this in the book of Numbers, whenever somebody was unclean, 
And whenever somebody had begun to touch a dead person or a dead bone or a tombstone or, or, or got in, in close contact with somebody and made themselves unclean, there was only one way that they could come back into camp. There was only one way they could come back into the fold of God. There was only one way for them to come back where God wanted them to be and that was if an, a, a priest would take a, a red heifer out and they would burn that they would burn that heifer and they would take those ashes and put them in a big barrel and then they would take those ashes and mix them with water and they would go and they would sprinkle somebody who called themselves unclean and they had to wait seven more days and they did it again and then they were able to come back into the camp. Now I want you to see something. The, these, these ashes that they had, that, that heifer was burned once, but they used the ashes for each person that would come. The same ashes of the same heifer would be used for multiple people. In the same way with Jesus, the same blood of Jesus covers multiple people. Now notice what happens here. It says that he purges us from, from dead works. Do you see that? He sanctifies, cleanses us from dead works. That's a correlation that the Holy Spirit is making. Whenever people were touching dead people, they would be unclean. But when we, as God's people, begin to try to serve God or live for God or do anything for God outside the blood of the Lamb, it's a dead work. It's a dead work for a church to operate and never preach the gospel. To never, to never teach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To never exalt Him and preach the blood. It's a dead work. It can't lead anybody to the place God needs them to be. Notice what happens. That it is only one thing. It is only one thing that clears the conscience of dead works. And that is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. There's a double meaning there. Not only does He cleanse it and purify it, but He also He also straightens us out so that we no longer use alternative means to honor God. Look, God is not impressed. God is not impressed with our works. God's not impressed with an extra 20 in the offering plate. God's not impressed with what we bring. God's impressed with our faith in what he did. That's what impresses God. What impresses God is when you hold to the blood, when you lean on the blood, when the blood's been applied to your soul, when you put your faith in that blood that Jesus shed at Calvary's hill for your soul. That's what impresses God. That's what impresses God. It says here that, that through the eternal spirit he offered himself without spot. Without sin. Nobody could do that. That's why nobody could ever, ever die for somebody else and atone for their sins because everybody was born a sinner. But Jesus, without spot, offers himself up through the Spirit. And notice it says there, to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In other words, to take you from that place where you try to, where you try to avoid the blood, where you try to come to the Lord outside the blood, where you look and, and 
today's church is very good about saying a lot of stuff and not saying anything. You can't say the word repent. You can't say the word holiness. You can't say the blood. You can't say the cross. You can't say the rapture. There's many things that you can't say in church today, but I want you to know that God doesn't change. Our society may change. The standard of the church may fall, but God will lift up a holy standard. God will lift up a new generation. God will raise up a church that will hunger and thirst for righteousness sake. God will raise up a church that knows the truth. And when you know the truth, the Bible says he'll make you free. It is the blood that bought you. It is the blood that cleanses you. It is the blood that gives you standing with God. And it is the blood that the church is built on. We don't need gimmicks. We don't need any fruit offerings. We don't need any 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 other thing we need to stand on the blood of the lamb of god we need to stand on the blood of the lamb of god well i want to show you two things i want to show you how you apply it to yourself and then i'm going to show you a, a view from the end i'm going to show you in first john chapter number one how you apply it turn with me to first john chapter number one how we apply it It says over here in 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse number 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, if, look, do you know that there's a lot of people that say they got fellowship with God? No false teacher will ever come to you and say, I don't know God. They won't. They'll say they got a new way. They'll say they come up with something new. You know, we, we talked about Peter. He said that they would deny the Lord that bought them. It's not denying God. They'll just deny that the Lord bought you. Now, I showed you earlier, how did the Lord buy you? Through the blood. Through his blood. Why don't we preach this anymore? Why don't we preach the blood anymore? You were bought by it. That's what gives you your standing before God. It's not how much money you put in an offering plate or, or, or how many little old ladies you help across the road. Your standing with God is nothing less than Christ's righteousness. That blood applied to your soul. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Many people are liars and deceivers. But you notice how they walk. You notice how they walk. Many people today can talk a good talk, but they don't walk the walk. Preachers today do a disservice to the gospel of Jesus Christ when they talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. When you have... All kinds of sin in the pulpit. You have a problem. But it doesn't just stay in the pulpit. Don't just cast your tomatoes at the pulpits. There's sin all throughout the camp. And God said, God said this. He said the judgment starts with the house of God. Now notice what he says here. He says, but if we walk in the light, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, 
in the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What does the blood do? It cleanses you. How does the blood cleanse you? When you're walking with God, when you're in fellowship with God, when you're in communion with God, when you've been born again by the blood of the Lamb, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. When, look it says, when you walk in the light as He's in the light, you'll have fellowship with every believer. Regardless of denomination, they could be Methodist, they could be Presbyterian, they could be Pentecostal, they could be Anabaptist, they could be Mennonites. It don't matter to God. Denominational tags are going to fall off in the rapture. So if you walk in the light as he's in the light, you'll have fellowship with other believers. You'll begin to see other people and you'll say, you're a Christian, aren't you? You'll begin to talk to other people and you'll just have a kindred, a kindred likeness with other Christians. And you know you're not in fellowship with God when you begin to surround yourself with rotten apples. Misery loves company. If all, uh, if, if all the people you associate with are not Christian, there's a problem. We're not supposed to yoke ourselves up with unrighteousness. In fact, we're supposed to avoid evil, even the appearance of it, at all costs. Now it says here, it says, that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. God's saying, be honest. Be honest. Let the Holy Ghost search our hearts. Let the Holy Ghost search our hearts. He's called the hound of heaven for a reason. The Holy Ghost searches hearts. God is the one who searches in there. The Holy Spirit is the one who resides and, and reports those things to the Father. And notice what he says in this next verse. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How are we forgiven? He showed you that. How are we cleansed? He showed you that in verse 7. By the blood of the Lamb. You're forgiven. You're cleansed by the blood. You're not forgiven because I say you're forgiven. You're not forgiven because he says you're forgiven. You're not forgiven because she said it or they said it or any other person said it. You're forgiven because God God said it, when the blood has been applied to your soul, God said you're forgiven and you're cleansed. No matter what any demon or devil or any dark person says, no matter what any dangerous, deceptive teaching is, you're cleansed, you're forgiven by the blood and only the blood and nothing but the blood. I just want to know, are you washed in the blood? Are you saved by the blood? Have you come through the blood? Has the blood been applied to your soul? Because if not, you're still in your sin. But if it has, God said, you've been forgiven. And he said, if we have sinned, we come back to him and we ask for forgiveness. And he cleanses us and forgives us. When we have sin, we come back to the Lord and we begin to repent. We begin to pray for forgiveness and God will indeed uh, keep that blood applied to our soul and we'll have a forgiveness. We'll have a cleansing. 
Now that's how we do it. It is only the blood. No person's ever been forgiven of one sin outside of blood. No person was ever begged for forgiveness enough and got it. No person ever got down on their knees and said, Please, God, please. I'll work for you for 30 years, Lord. I'll cut the grass at church, Lord. I won't miss another church service, Lord. I'll sit on the front row, Lord. I'll give, Lord. I'll do this for you, Lord. I'll do that for you, Lord. God is not going to be bought. He bought you. He's not going to be bribed. He is to be worshipped. And he said that it is only the blood that atones for the soul. Leviticus chapter 17. Only the blood can atone for the soul. And we have six souls in the world today. We have six souls in the generation that we live in. We have sin, sick souls in America, in our city, and sometimes even in our churches. But there's one answer. There's one answer, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. That is God incarnate in flesh. I want you to think about that again. There's no way for God to bleed when he's spirit. He had to come and incarnate into humanity so that he could offer himself and bleed and die for our sins so that he could then take that holy blood that was offered at Calvary and take it up to glory and apply it to the mercy seat in heaven. The Bible says that Moses got the blueprint for the tabernacle down here on earth because God showed it to him in the mountain because there was a tabernacle in heaven and God showed him that and he copied the one that was in heaven but the one Jesus went to is the one that was not made by human hands it was the one made in glory the one reserved for the holiest of the holy high priest and that is Jesus Christ and he went in and he put blood on that mercy seat and I want to know did he call your name when he put that blood on there I want to know, did he call your name out when he put that blood that cost him? It cost him everything. He didn't hold anything back. They mocked him. They pulled out his beard. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They pierced his side. They crucified the Lord of glory. All because he had joy for you. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He allowed himself to be mocked and ridiculed and humiliated and cursed on that cross because he was purchasing your soul. And he took that blood that cost him everything. It cost him everything. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin, that is God, holy, 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 allowed himself to come to the cross and be made sin for us. That we could have the righteousness of God. And I want to know when he took that blood and he ascended back up to heaven, he told Mary, don't hold on to me right now. He's going up there. He had a job to do. He took that holy blood up there to that altar in heaven. 
He went through the gates. He went through the doors. He passed everybody. And he went into the holiest of the holy places. And he put an offering for eternal redemption on that mercy seat. And I want to know, did he call your name out when he did? I want to know if your sins were forgiven because of that blood on that mercy seat. Because if so, he gained, you, you got an eternal redemption right there. Now I want to show you the end result in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, I'm going to show you the end result. How that God uses the blood. I showed you how we apply it. Now I want to show you how he uses it. No person ever gets into heaven without the blood being applied to them. Paul said, whenever we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. No in the middle. Kind of rules out some other teachings, don't it? But when you die, you're either going up or down. The only thing that matters on that day is not what your last name was and not what your first name was and not what church you was a member of. It won't matter how many dogs, cats, or children you had on that day. It won't matter how much money was in your bank account. It won't matter what color our car was on that day. One thing will matter when our breath leaves our body and it don't come back in our body and our soul begins to depart from this fleshly house. One thing will matter was the blood applied to that soul. Because in that moment, instantaneously, we will be going extremely fast down or extremely fast up. Because Paul says it's instantaneous. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. No misdirection, no side ventures, no shortcuts, no getting lost in traffic, no traffic signs, no stop signs, going straight from here to the Lord's presence. The blood of the Lamb is what brings you there. So Revelation chapter number 7, we're going to begin with verse number 9. Now this section of Scripture, I have to include it all, so bear with me. It gets a little bit exciting, but I got somewhere I need to go in it. Beginning in verse number 9, we're going to stop in verse number 14. Hallelujah. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. I want you to know that you should be in that number. This is a number that is uncountable. This is a number that is beyond comprehension. It says that they cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Now that tells you right there that Jesus is God. Because God shares His glory with no other. He said there's no God beside me. This tells you right there that Jesus is in fact God. Salvation to our God and the Lamb. Hallelujah, He is God. Hallelujah, God bought us on the cross. Hallelujah, God wrought the victory for us. And hallelujah, God is on the throne. 
Now look here, he says in verse number 11, it says, all, And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the thrones on their faces, before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen. I think they just got excited because we was worshiping. We started shouting salvation to God and they said, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Notice how all of heaven is beginning to worship. The, 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 the saints clothed in the robes with the palms shouting salvation. And all the creatures of heaven shouting, Amen, blessing, honor, glory. All of heaven is beginning to get its worship on. What a moment. It will be soon. Before the blink of an eye. Solomon says, it's like a vapor, this life. It's here today and gone. And before you know it, you'll be gathered around that throne. Joining the heavenly chorus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I praise God. And it says, notice what happens here. I want you to see this. This is the part I want you to get. These two verses right here. And one of the elders, one of the elders answered saying unto me, this is talking to John, what are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they? Now God's about to show you something. God wants you to know who these people are. God wants you to know who they are and where they came from. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, which is a good response. It's a good response if you don't know, right? And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They put their robes, that's your soul, they put their robes in the blood, and the blood made them white. It is the blood that purifies and cleanses the man. It is the blood that purifies and cleanses our sin. And when these robes got put in the blood, that is, when you applied the blood to your soul, when you surrendered to God and trusted the blood, you take that robe that was once your own dead works, that was once your own holiness, your own good works, your own effort, your own everything, and you laid it down at the cross and you said, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Lord, I have no good works to bring. I'm like that little drummer boy, I don't got nothing but I give myself to you. Just like Paul said. Just like Paul said. And notice what happens. He says that they take the, those robes were dipped. That's when you believe. That's when you put faith in Him. When you trust Him for your soul. For the eternal redemption of your soul. That's when you take your robe and you dip it in that blood. And God said it comes out white. 
it comes out white. This is, and Isaiah got an allusion to this in Isaiah chapter 1. It says, though our sins were as crimson, they'll be made white as snow. How can you make a crimson sin white? Applying the blood of Jesus. Applying that crimson flow makes it white as snow. Hallelujah. God bought you with His own blood. And if you'll come to the Lord, if you'll come to the Lord, He'll forgive your sin. He'll cleanse you by His own blood. And I want you to know this is what the church is built on. It did not say that their robes were made white because they got perfect Sunday school attendance and because they gave and because they served their community and because they did this and that and the other. Hogwash. There's only one way that you'll stand in heaven. Only one. Don't let anybody move you off of this essential truth. This is what the church is built on. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. It's our only hope. It's our only hope. And it is the only thing. It is the only thing that cleansed those filthy robes and made them white as snow. I want to know, are you washed in the blood? Are you washed in the blood? I want to know, are you washed in the blood? There's an innumerable multitude of people right here who have had their robes washed in the blood. But I want to know, have you? Let, let the holy hound of heaven search your heart. If you haven't trust that blood tonight, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And I want you to know, don't let anybody move you off of this. This is the truth you need to herald. This is the truth you need to share. This is the truth that you need to hold on to and not let anybody move you off of, of your salvation, your inheritance, your redemption, your atonement. It is the blood, only the blood, and nothing but the blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.